Welcome to the Dogs Are the Best Friends podcast. I'm Emily, and my best buddy, Flynn, is here too. The purpose of this podcast is to bring you some dog stories and a few tips along the way to help you and your best friend communicate. This author, (laughs) I'm going to be a little bit of a fangirl right now. Are you ready? Like a dog fangirl? Because, you know, I'm crazy for the canines. So here's the thing. This author is someone that I have admired for a long time, and I've bought her books, a lot of them. I have read many of her articles in the Whole Dog Journal, which by the way, if you don't subscribe, I would highly, highly recommend it. They don't have ads. They are pure. To me, it's just pure good information. Today, CJ Puwatinen shares with us from her wealth of knowledge about reactive dogs because she has actually lived it and she continues to live it. She has generously given us her article and you can find that on dogsarethebestfriends.com. I will have it front and center. So if you want to read more about it and how to get help for your dog or what to do if you believe you have a reactive dog, this is a great resource for you. CJ shared so much information that I actually have enough for a completely full other episode. So I have another 20 minutes worth of information for you. It will come out on Friday. Be sure to hit subscribe so that you know when it comes out, because if you have a crazy week, you might forget. And let's get this started. I'm just going to be a big dog nerd right now about holistic and uh, dog training, but you are one of the first people that inspired me. I am so honored that you're here today to share your wisdom and your insights. And uh, can you just give us a little bit of background about, you know, your background, your expertise in training and holistic care? Well, I grew up in the northwest corner of Oregon in the woods outside of Astoria, which is at the mouth of the Columbia River. And we did have occasional dogs. They were never dogs that we went out to purchase or adopt. We lived in the woods, and people who had animals they didn't want to keep anymore were, you know, that was their method of getting rid of them was you you drove them out into the woods and you let them go, and they would go to somebody's back door, which is what happened. And So that's how the dogs in my childhood came into our lives. But the dog we had the longest, um, his name was Licorice. He was never really allowed in the house. It bothered him that the cats were allowed in the house, and he wasn't. And (laughs) I'm so sad to look back at the life that he led compared to what I think is a normal kind of life for dogs now And then, um, because I was really much more of a cat person than a dog person, I married uh, my first husband in New York, and he had a cat, and I had two cats, mother and daughter. And so we had lots of cats over our 33-year marriage, and um, it was not until we fell in love with the friend's Labrador Retriever that we even thought about getting a dog. And that was the beginning of my my dog education, was finding the perfect puppy and with the help of some professional trainers to whom I'm always indebted, um, finding a good breeder, finding the right puppy. And that was Samantha. And so with Samantha, 
I got introduced to everything from puppy kindergarten to as she got older, becoming a therapy dog, participating in agility. And that just opened up a whole world of interesting things that people could do with their dogs. And I was interested in holistic health and tried to find um, uh, veterinarians and, you know, people who knew how to do things like acupuncture and chiropractic. And so that's how I really got interested. And uh, I was writing a series of books for a publisher, um, mostly medicinal herbs, because that was a serious uh, project, a serious study of mine, uh, studying and getting different certifications in herbal medicine. And I was very interested in trying things out with dogs and um, corresponding with people, veterinarians who worked with dogs and herbs. And it was after writing a series of small books about herbs for humans that the publisher let me write uh, the Encyclopedia of Natural Pet Care. And that just gave me uh, an in. I could call just about anyone and say, hi, uh, this is C.J. Pouadon, and I'm a writer for this publisher, and we're working on an Encyclopedia of Natural Pet Care. I would love to interview you about, and I had a whole list of these holistic therapies, and everybody said yes. <laughs> so I got to do these interviews and then edit the conversations, and that became the Encyclopedia of Natural Pet Care. And then it was yeah. after that I was contacted by Nancy Kearns at the Whole Dog Journal, who said, would you consider writing for us? And so I said, sure. And so I've been doing that ever since. What a wonderful mix of of different ways that everything came together for you, you know, and you weren't even into dogs, which is fascinating to me. That's well, can you help us out with, you know, people talk about aggressive dogs and you're talking about reactive dogs. Are they the same? Do they overlap a bit? Can you kind of clear that up for us to help people understand? Reactive dog is just a dog that hypervigilant, easily distracted, and its reactions are over the top. Reactive dogs don't usually bite other dogs or people, although they can if they're sufficiently stressed. What they do is they create this huge fuss as a kind of stay away from me message. Uh, And a truly aggressive dog just thinks differently. And so that's my uh, attempt to convey what these various experts have said. As I said, their definitions overlap, but usually the reactive behavior is defined as something that the dog is responding to out of fear, and the dog is simply trying to get this fearful thing to go away. Okay. Yeah, thank you. That helps a lot because I think people have used that interchangeably. My first lab, Samantha, chosen with the help of professional trainers who really knew what they were doing from a really reputable breeder whose dogs were known for being really, really calm. And then my second lab, Chloe, very similar. She was a little larger physically, but had the same kind of temperament, just the ideal dogs for people who don't know much about dogs. You know, they she was a perfect starter dog, Samantha was. And by the time we got Chloe, I had learned so much that she had an easier time with just about everything. And then 
she passed away, and we got Blue Sapphire. Now, Blue is three and a half years old now, but oh my goodness. (laughs) So Chloe and Samantha, neither one of them ever chased a deer or a car or a pedestrian or a jogger. They were beautifully behaved. (laughs) They were always so sweet and nice. And then I wound up with this hoodlum. And so I didn't know anything about reactive dogs. I knew that they existed. It was not a term that was widely used when I had um, puppies in New York. I was very active in dog training. I went to a lot of classes and I met people who were very competitive and, you know, got informed about all kinds of interesting things that were happening, like special camps for dogs that were having a problem getting along with other dogs or that had different personality profiles that we now call reactive. And so I wasn't at all prepared to discover that that's what I had. I had a reactive dog. And when she was about, oh, five or six months old, we had done really well in puppy kindergarten. We had done really well in the American Kennel Club's star puppy class. But then it was time for the canine good citizen test, and all of a sudden she was reacting to other dogs, other people, things and situations, (laughs) stray plastic bags, cars parked where she wasn't expecting to see them, and her reaction was over the top. And she would leap in the air and she would snarl and growl and she would, and she was a sweetheart when she wasn't acting like the opposite. So, oh my goodness, I spent two and a half years reading everything I could about reactive dogs, working with an excellent trainer, um, studying books, uh, studying videos, DVDs. There's a book that I read during this uh, research time called the Midnight Dog Walkers, and I knew exactly what that was. That was like Blue and me out on a road where nobody would be at a time of day where nobody would run into us, and I could let her off the leash without worrying about terrible things happening. Right. She could see movement from a great distance and just get terribly worked up about it and bark her head off and snarl and growl, and she sounded so fierce and ferocious, and Mm. I did not know what to do, but I had made a friend. Actually, Chloe had made this friend. So when I'd be walking up on Mount Ascension with Chloe and Seamus, I would often run into a fellow who had a black lab who was about the same age as Chloe, and the two dogs would notice each other right away, long before the humans, and they would run past each other. (laughs) Chloe would run to Jeff to sit by his pocket because he had a biscuit in his pocket. And his dog, Jem, would run past Chloe to get to me so she could sit in front of my left pocket that has the freeze-dried liver in it. (laughs) So over a period of years, we would occasionally be going in the same direction and we weren't in a hurry. So we would talk and get to know each other. Well, he was at that time completing Gene Donaldson's Dog Training Academy training, which is really impressive. Well, let me tell you, when Blue started jumping in the air and snarling at other dogs, I realized I was in over my head. I did not know what I was doing. I did not understand anything that 
she was experiencing. Nothing that she did made any sense to me because it was just so different from my two previous labs. Sure. But I knew that I did not want to use a shock collar. I wanted to continue to use positive reinforcement training like clicker training, which had worked very well for my two previous labs. So Jeff is the person who convinced me, first of all, that I had a wonderful dog. I was really having my doubts, but he (laughs) said she is just awesome. She's just a terrific athlete, but he was telling me that she was reacting this way to unexpected things and people and dogs because she was afraid that this was a fear reaction, which made no sense to me at first because it looked so aggressive and ferocious. Right. And we started a a regular training program and every Friday morning he would come over and Blue and I had been doing our homework and so we'd show him what we'd been practicing and gradually over a period of time her several things happened. One was she was growing up and becoming calmer and secondly with just a, a lot of positive reinforcement and really paying attention to all the subtle cues and also preventing her from being overstimulated by some of the things that were really reinforcing questionable behavior. Like one thing I didn't really appreciate was that a reactive dog can self-reinforce by barking its head off uh, when it sees another dog or barking its head off when it's uh, perched up high and looking out at, you know, the yard or whatever. And right. here comes something they call this fence running if you're alongside a fence and engaging in all this very, very active, noisy behavior that is itself rewarding. And right. so taking blue from her favorite lookout post made a difference and just Mm -hmm. making sure that whenever I leave the house I make sure that she's in a quiet room with the drapes drawn and she's not going to be noticing delivery trucks and all the other things that would normally set her off and that alone has had a calming effect too. It's quite a story isn't it about blue And how on earth do you get control over a dog like that to the point where you know how they're going to react? Well, have a listen. This is a great story. So I had such a breakthrough moment at the dog park with Blue where just getting from the car into the dog park was a challenge. Once she's she's in the dog park playing with other dogs, she's fine. She does play well with other dogs. And she loves tennis balls, and she loves the chucket. So as long as she's got a tennis ball in her mouth or I'm throwing the chucket, uh, she's thrilled. And she's just totally focused on that. So then one day we were coming out of the dog park, and she's tired now, and we're walking along. And all of a sudden, on the sidewalk in front of us, there's this huge commotion because there's a German shepherd on one side of the sidewalk, and there's a lab on the other side, and they're both standing up. And their owners are holding on for dear life. And they are snarling and carrying on. And I whistled for Blue. And she 
spun around and faced me and sat. And I had my treat bag right there, and I had my hands free because I had a hands-free leash, and I'm just Mm. shoving these treats into her mouth, one after another after another, you know, a piece of bacon and a piece of cheese and a piece of her favorite kind of dog treat and a piece of dehydrated bison tripe and a piece of something else. And so she got this instant reward, well-timed. These dogs calmed down. They went their separate ways. She's totally relaxed when we turned around and went to the car. And I said, that was a wonderful thing. And you deserved that. That was a good jackpot reward. And um, I'm happy that I was uh, there to see it. And you're showing how you have to be prepared. I mean, that's just amazing. That's such a great example because you had worked with her, worked with her, worked with her. And then something came out of the blue, something that you can't plan for, but all your training paid off. And what a beautiful example that is. That's wonderful. Good for you. You have to feel so good about that. (laughs) I did. But I was really happy for her. And that also marked a real change in my relationship with Blue because up until that point, I really had second thoughts. Was this a good idea getting her? Um, Is she the right dog? All I can say is I think if she had gone to um, the person that my first husband or the people that my first husband and I were, you know, like 30 years ago, totally unprepared, no knowledge at all, uh, we would have had a disaster. And if she had gone to a family that had, you know, small children, but no time to invest in um, the kind of training that she really needed, she could have gotten into a lot of trouble. And she could have had a very unhappy life. And typically, this type of dog gets given up uh, at about the age of two. Ages two to three is when the hyperactive, reactive dogs are turned into shelters. Of course, these are the ideal dogs for some of the most interesting occupations that dogs have. You know, like the sniffer dogs that work with military or... uh, different organizations, police organizations, um, detecting bombs and detecting all kinds of contraband drugs and things like that. Those are the dogs that just don't slow down. And many of them are uh, toy motivated as well as food motivated. And so, you know, I have to say blue is tennis ball motivated. And (laughs) if I'm holding, if I'm holding a checket with a tennis ball in it, boy, I've got her undivided attention. Right. If I say down, she says, I'll lie down for that. If I say come, <laughs> she says, I'll come for that. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Border Collies, are, a lot of them are the same way. So a reactive dog, do they ever become unreactive in the sense of like, eventually will she get to the point where hardly anything will set her off? Or is this something? Most, well, most of the most of the experts, and they're they're quoted in the article that I wrote for the Whole Dog Journal, which your listeners are invited to read, um, say that no, this is not behavior that extinguishes itself usually. However, mm-hmm. the most successful are those who get a tremendous amount of training, alternative behaviors get rewarded. And at the same time, the usual triggers, the things that had normally set the dog off, are avoided for a period, not just weeks, but months or years. And Mm. those dogs may kind of settle into a more relaxed uh, life. But I don't 
expect that to happen with blue. I expect to be pretty much on guard and alert and plan ahead and have everything ready and practice for the rest of her life. Right. And people can understand better and they can connect with you better because of this. I mean, it hasn't been easy on you or blue, but you kept at it and you figured out how to love this dog and to reach her where she is and how to, you know, help her retrain her brain. And there are professional trainers, um, you know, that are very involved in writing for the Whole Dog Journal or, you know, we have a training editor, Pat Miller, who's excellent. But my um, suggestion to Nancy Kearns was, would you like an article from a typical reader who's a novice when it comes to training, totally different from having an expert tell us what we could be doing, but somebody who's actually living it, and she was well aware of the challenges that I had with flu. So she said, yeah, and it was fun to write. We'll see you on Friday for more excellent information about reactive dogs from CJ. Also, be sure to come back for all the other dog stories coming up. I have a bunch of great interviews to share with you. I wish you some peace and love. And if it's hard to find that right now during these difficult times, then focus on your dog and that will make you feel better instantly.